and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. Everyone here knows relationships matter. Uh, Proverbs teaches us this. In Proverbs 13 and 20, it basically tells you two things. Avoid the company of fools and associate with the wise. What it says is a companion of fools will be destroyed, and he who gets around wise people will become wise themselves. Now, you all know this, that people are like elevators. They're either taking you up or taking you down. And you need to make sure that you're associating with the right people. You know, one of my favorite kind of quotes is you are the sum total of the five people you are closest to. Now, I want you to think about right now, everybody, I want you to think about the five people you are closest to and ask, do I want to be the sum total of those people? Because you are. Uh, Standards are contagious. And if you're taking notes, that's a good one to write down. Standards are contagious. And so their standard will become your standard. And you may think, well, no, I'll lift them up. Uh, The probability, if you're standing on a staircase, this is what my father used to always tell me, uh, because I I would make that argument like as a teenager. I'm like, but I'm going to pull him up, Dad. And he's like, if you're standing on a staircase and you've got somebody who is trying to pull you up versus you trying to pull them down, who is going to win? And somebody says, well, does that mean like I can't be around people who are, you know, not, you know, doing right? It's not a matter of doing, it's a matter of trying, And if you're around people who aren't trying to take that next step, like there's nothing in them that wants to come up higher, they will pull you down every single time. You want to get around people with high standards for their marriage, high standard for their their friendships, high standards for their spirituality, high standards with how they handle their body. You want to get around people of high standards because their standards will become your standards. Now, we know this intrinsically. Uh, But what I want to talk about this um, in, in this detail is the deepening of your community. Because so many of you have friendships that would be quote unquote Christian friendships. I want you to take these friendships and I want you to create something that is different than you've ever had. I, I want you to create a spiritual community that is life-giving for you and them. Um, our, our tagline for years as a church has been a family church with a world vision. And I love that because that's what I want. I, I want every age to be able to find church here. Like whether you're, you're old or young or in between, you can find yourself here. You can find a message that's relevant for your season of life and programs that are relevant for you. But I also want you to, to have a kingdom perspective and to exist uh, for the change of the world. But the, the more I move into my 40s, I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago, and the more I think about what I want to create, because I've pastored now for 20 years, and I know i got at least another 20 in me, um, all the way to 60 of pastoring, um, and then who knows after that, but I think I'll start handing it to the next generation. But what I want for the next 20 is I would love to create a modern-day Book of Acts church. 
that I believe the book of Acts is what God has asked us to contend for. Um, nothing less than that. Uh, a church that is filled with diversity, a, a church that is filled with nations, a church that has a huge heart to go into nations, a church that is marked by its generosity and its love for humanity, and a church that has the power of God with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as I began looking at the book of Acts, like I see what they have and I'm like, I want it. I want the power of God. I want the lame walking and rejoicing and jumping and praising God. I want blind eyes open. I, I want um, our sons and our daughters prophesying. Like, I want those things. But one of the things that I've learned in life is you can find anybody in life who has what you want. You, you can find somebody who has the marriage you want. You can find somebody who has the health you want. Uh, you can find somebody who has the muscles you want. You can find somebody in life who has what you want, but it's not a matter of do you want what they have, it's a matter of do you want to do what they did to get what they have. And when I look at the book of Acts, I want what they have, but I I also know that in the book of Acts, success leaves clues. And, and I believe that. Uh, it's so easy to succeed because there's clues dropped. There's habits dropped all over people and all in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see something that they did continually. And I want to add this to my life. And, and this is something that, if I'm being honest, is missing. And I want to fight for it. And I want you to fight for it as well. So let's go look at it. We're going to look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out. Uh, people are being saved and people are hearing about Jesus. It's amazing. Peter gets up and he begins to explain to all of these nations what's going on here with the Holy Spirit being poured out. And watch what happens next in verse number 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation." So then those who had received his word were baptized, and on that day were added about 3,000 people. Now watch this. They were continually devoting themselves. Now let's just take a little time out here. We'll jump right back there in a moment. But everybody at each one of our campuses, I want you to know something. You are devoting yourself to something, and I want to ask you, what is it? Um, everybody in this room, everybody online, everybody listening to this podcast, you are devoting yourself to something. What is it? Um, maybe it's to sports, college football, or your kids' sports. Um, but if we were to interview your, ki- your children and ask, what are your parents devoted to? Like, what has the bulk of their time and attention? What would they say you are devoted to? Uh, if we were to interview your wife or your, your father or your mother or your husband and ask, um, what are they devoted to? What would that answer be? It could be school. Uh, it could be video games. Um, it could be the Cowboys or sports or eBay. 
but this generation, the book of Acts, this church that is filled with power, I want you to look at what they were devoting themselves to and without judgment, but with conviction. A judgment puts shame on you. Conviction gives you an, an urge to change. And we never want shame on you. In fact, as a pastor, I want shame off of you. Shame is a terrible motivator. I want shame off of you, but I do want conviction in you. And conviction is that call for repentance, which is, I need to make a change of direction. And I want you to watch what the early church was devoting themselves to, and I want to ask myself, and I would love it if you played along, and you asked yourself, is this what I'm devoting myself to? Is this is what my kids would say I am devoted to? Let's, let's look at it. They were continually devoting themselves to teaching. Teach us the word of God. I want to learn the word of God. To fellowship. To the breaking of bread, which was communion. We're going to do that today. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all that had believed were together. They had all things common, and they began to sell their property. They began to sell their possessions. And were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God And having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And to that I say amen. Lord, let it be so across all of our campuses. Um, When you read this, what were they continually devoting themselves to? You see a lot, right? You see giving, uh, you see prayer, you see fellowship, you see the breaking of bread, which was communion. You also see meals, they were eating. Um, all of those things. And without a doubt, for those of you who are a Christian, you, you have this in your life, right? Like there are moments where you pray. There are definitely moments where you eat. <laughs> uh, there are moments where maybe you take communion, you go to church, you know, those types of things you give. Here's my question is how often do you do that together? Uh, When is the last time, and once again, no shame, only conviction, and an urge to change, an urge to come up higher, a new standard? Um, When is the last time you got together with five of your friends and prayed for 30 minutes? Just 30. Um, When is the last time you got together with a group of friends and you're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fellowship. It's like, okay, great. With Jesus at the center of the conversation. And we're going to talk about what Jesus is doing in our life. Who is the last person you were around that you were comfortable enough to confess your sin to? Did you know that's a call for us as Christians? Like the book of James writes and says, confess your sin one to another that you may be healed. But we are still so tied in with shame with so much false community, even in the church... Because you can hide your spirituality in here. In our churches, you can hide your spirituality. You can be seen here but never known. Um, When is the last time you sat down with a group of people who you knew were followers of Jesus and you said, I have this issue in my life. 
I want accountability, I want transparency, and I want prayer. Uh, I, I know you give. When's the last time you gave together? Like, we just paid off these boats. Amazing. But what if, like, you, you sat down with a group of your, your friends, ladies, and, like, you, you brought up somebody that you knew of who is a, a new mom. Maybe she's a single mom. And they didn't have a nursery for the, the child. And so each one of you made a decision to take something of your possession and sell it on eBay. And collect the money to buy a nursery for that mom. That's Book of Acts. Um, and somebody, well, I wouldn't have my purse anymore. Well, maybe, but maybe more importantly, it wouldn't have you anymore. And that you would see that life does not consist out of the abundance of things that you possess. That there is a joy and a peace that is found with walking with Christ and community that is not found in any other way. Um, Men, when's the last time you you got together with other men and you said, let's take communion. And let's, let's ask ourselves, do our kids think that our lives are centered around Christ or sports? Do they, do they think I care more about how they perform on a field or in a classroom than I do about their spirituality? And let's judge that as fathers. And let's, let's break the body of the Lord Jesus and let's take the blood and forgive ourselves from the past but make a change in our future that Christ will be the center of our homes. Now, can you imagine, and I know this is the ideal, and we'll talk about that in a minute, of how dangerous the ideal can be. So I know what I'm communicating is the ideal, but my question would be, what if you did have that? What if you had a group of men who encouraged you and prayed for you over your family, and you were able to tell them exactly what was going on? What if, ladies, you had a group of friends that genuinely knew how to pray versus gossip? <laughs> I appreciate the support in this, but like genuinely, what if you had a a group of ladies who cared more about the inside than they did the outside, that, that they cared about your spirituality and not just the dress you had on, and they complimented you more for your spiritual beauty than your new car? And encourage you in that, to keep developing that. What if we as couples had other couples we could get together and have a meal with, but then let our kids come in on the conversation where we talk about the book of Philippians. And they they heard us as fathers and mothers talking about the gospel in the context of, of not just coming to the temple, but also meeting from house to house. This is church. And, and this is what, we're, what I want to strive for. And somebody says, I want to find that. I agree. But you know what I found? It does not exist. And here's something I'll be incredibly honest with. It doesn't exist here in our churches. It doesn't exist at Highland Colony. doesn't exist at Fondren. doesn't exist here at Lakeland. doesn't exist at Poindexter. In mass, we are going to have to create it. And so we have to stop trying to find it. 
And we have to start trying to create it. To form it. Because I need it and so do you. How thrilled would you be if your sons were in a relationship like that with other young men? Seriously. How thrilled would you be if your daughters had other daughters like that, that that they could sit around at the lunch table in 10th grade and talk about what Jesus is doing in their hearts and lives, confessing sin and taking communion that Christ's power will not only forgive it, but empower them to change. Now, if we would want that for our children, what are the chances of our children having that if we're not modeling that for them? Because children don't do what we say, they model who we are. And out of that, we must come and strip away this this surface level Christianity for something that is a deeper work in our hearts. Because your spirituality will never be seen in mass. It will only be seen in the context of community. And we avoid this like the plague because transparency is not something I want. That since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve fell, what they've always wanted is to hide and wear masks. And that's what happens all over humanity and it's come over into the church. That in the church, I will hide and wear a mask and no one will know exactly what I'm going through and so I'll wrestle it alone. And so I have a lot of fines and I have a lot of cowboys and I have a lot of sports and we'll talk about Alabama football and we'll talk about possessions and we'll talk about jobs, but we won't talk about marriage and we won't talk about sin and we won't talk to come back and and be like, okay, let's come back to what we all know we really want, which is love, joy, and peace and a connection to Christ. And let's talk about the things in our life that are hindering that and get community on pulling that out where we walk together as as followers of Jesus. When when I, I look at my life and I look at, honestly, American culture, and I love America, I love our nation, but I've also had the privilege of going to many other nations Um, and many other places of the world with different cultures, tribes, groups of people, all of those types of things. And one of the things that I've noticed in other nations is they value friends and family more than we do. And I don't mean that to like bash us. I, I really see like as Americans, since our ideal when it came into a nation was, was built around individualism. They're like, we got land, baby. Let's build, let's get some land, some acreage, and privacy fences. Like, let's, let's shut out each other. And there is safety in that. Um, and as an introvert, I have an appreciation for that. In fact, I would like my privacy trees to grow faster. Um, like all of those types. I pray over them. I fertilize them. Uh, you know, all of those types of things. So hear me. I get it 100%. But when I look at, like, not just the world, but I look at what was modeled by us by Christ, which is that's who we are. We're we're not just saved by Christ. We are followers of Christ, which means we do as he did. The goal of Christianity is to do what Christ did, that, that he came as an example on how to live. And if we would live his way, we would find life. And when I look at how Jesus lived, I see that he modeled two things incredibly well, and it was solitude and community. Now, when I say solitude, I don't just mean being alone um, and isolation. That's unhealthy. What I mean by solitude is the breaking away from the world to have a strong connection with the Heavenly Father. 
And this is something entirely different message, but I would say that in most of our lives, we don't have a lot of solitude because our values are not solitude and community. It's work, entertainment, and activity. Work, we, we, we genuinely feel so much financial pressure in our culture, especially with inflation and all those things, that we work a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. And our minds are focused on work. We're so tired from work that it shifts over into entertainment. It's like, let me knob my mind from all the work. Let me watch something or play something or do something that takes my mind off of these things. And then activity, especially if you've got young kids. It's like all the places they have to go and be and do and all those things going on at school and sports. And we prioritize our life around those three things. And we're losing ourselves and community. Because in solitude is where you really find yourself, because in solitude, you, you, your soul is laid bare before God. And I'm not talking about like you sitting in a chair alone on your phone. I'm talking about like you really pressing into the presence of the Lord Jesus and being in his presence and, and feeling a connection. I'm talking about you having a moment where you actually look at the man in the mirror and you ask yourself, what direction am I headed in? Am I okay And Jesus would pull away, even from ministry, he would pull away from work and the disciples would come and be like, everybody is seeking you, get back in the game. And he would pull away even more. Because he found his power in his connection with God. And when he could look in the mirror, he would always see somebody who was moving in the right direction. We don't even want to look in the mirror. Now, we'll look in the mirror to see how we look physically. What I'm talking about is looking in the mirror to see how you are spiritually and emotionally. To ask, who am I and who am I becoming? Like moments of solitude for reflection, of direction. What direction is my life headed in? What direction is my family headed in? And am I okay with that? And and God, give me the power to fix it and turn it in the right direction. Solitude. But then Jesus not only modeled solitude, Jesus modeled community. Here you have a man doing life with 12 other men. With most of his lessons, like get this, most of his best lessons that are recorded for us not happening in his preaching and teaching, but rather in his conversations with these men. That some of Jesus' best teaching was in the home of Mary and Martha. That he's in their home and they're talking about the things of the Lord. That some of Jesus' best teaching was after the disciples sat in the public meeting and they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. In private, they pulled him aside and they're like, explain to his father. And he did. That like in your life, what that would look like is like, yes, you have this. But then after this, you have something that like a community It's like, what are we going to do with that? Like, and what does that mean to you? And like, okay, you heard these points, and we just read Acts 2 of like they were devoting themselves to, but what if you had a community that asked, are we devoting ourselves to that? Like, guys, when's the last time we prayed together? See, that's that next level of Jesus had a community of brothers that he was able to do that with. And somebody says, I would love to find that. So did Jesus. He would have loved to have found it, but he didn't find it. He did what? He created it. And he instilled that. Jesus had 12 men that he sang with. Now, I'm not talking about like a Bluetooth speaker. And honestly, as a man, this makes me a little uncomfortable even thinking about. Uh, You know, because Lord knows men don't want to be transparent and in their feelings. Uh, And so out of this, but like Jesus literally has a moment with his disciples without Bluetooth or like a a guy with cut up jeans and a fancy shirt playing an acoustic in the corner. Like... None of that, 12 rugged men singing to the Lord together without any shame. 
washing each other's feet, holding each other accountable, having meals together, talking about the things of God. Do you have that? I I know I would like to have more of that, and, and, and I can wait on the phone call or I can make one. I can, I can try to join the right group, or I can create one. And, and my point in this is, is we have to fight for this, because here's three mistakes that we make. If you want to write these down, I'll just run through these real quick. Number one, we mistake proximity for community. We mistake proximity for community. And here's what you'll see. For all of our campuses, you have this right now. You're in contact. You have proximity with some other followers of Jesus. And right, it feels pretty good. You come in, you sing, you worship, your children have proximity with other children who probably love Jesus because they're at church too. We have proximity and we mistake proximity for community. But just because you're around people doesn't mean you're known by people. And the difference between proximity and community is known versus around. That people know you. And when I say know you, they know how you are. They, they, they know how you are and where you're at in your discipleship. They, they know the state of your marriage and they care. They're praying for it. Um, they know the state of your children and they care. They're praying for them. They know the state of your soul and how you're heartbroken because your father just passed away and they're praying for you and they're making you know, meals for you. Like You have thick as thieves community. Like You, you have something in your life that is there because they're known. Um, even psychologists, when they're talking about this, say there are four basic levels of communication. They'll, they'll put this up here. Four basic levels of communication. You have facts, opinion, feelings, and transparency. Facts, like uh, cowboys are playing. Uh, opinion, uh, I think they'll win. Feelings, I care if they win. Like <laughs> that, that type of thing. And then lastly, transparency is, the last time I really enjoyed a Cowboys game was when my father was sitting next to me. And like that type of thing. Like tra- of who you are as a person. Now here's what most of your friendships are. Let me help you right now. Most of your friendships are facts and opinion. It's cold. Yeah, man, it's real cold. Man, I, I, I want it colder. Like that type of level. And community is here. Proximity is here. And you can have this with anybody at Walmart or wherever you like to shop. But true community is where you're getting into this, where you're taking off the mask and you're having true conversations that reveal the state of your soul so that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000. That you, you have somebody who's with you in the fight. So we mistake proximity for community. Um, the next thing that we do uh, that we have to stop doing is we mistake online community for community. Let me help you with this. Online community is an oxymoron. Two things that don't belong together. Uh, And I love all that can happen online. I love our online campus. I love all that we have in podcasts. But when it comes to community, community is where you are seen and you are known. You are seen and you are known. Um, It's moving past to like, oh, it's good to see you. How are you? Fine. It's moving deeper into like, how are you really? And someone who's been around you enough to know that your mouth said fine, but your face is telling me something else. And so the next time we're together, I'm going to call you and ask, are you really okay or do you need me? This is community. Uh, And this makes a difference. And so online community is, is not a real thing. In fact, 
every single study being done on like all these social media apps tell us how dangerous they are. In fact, the more you use them, the sadder you are. Every study, every single study that that talks about social media says the more that you use fake connection with people, the more lonely you feel because you're watching everybody else live a life you wish you were invited to. And so we've got to fight to make real community. We have to fight to get face-to-face friendships. And somebody says, well, I want to find that. Stop trying to find it. Create that. Number three, we mistake chemistry for community. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis said. I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis recently. And he said, all friendship begins with me too. And I love that. It's like, that's how I met John Romney. I made um, uh, something known where I was like, I like Liverpool football. And he contacted me. He's like, I like Liverpool too. And I'm like, you too? And he's like, yes. I'm like, me too. Uh, And so we started talking. It's like, I like coffee. I like coffee. No, I really like coffee. I really like good coffee. It's like, you too? Me too. And it kept going where it's like, we have so much chemistry. And so you're going to find people like that, that you naturally have chemistry with. They like the same thing you like, and it feels like friendship, but that doesn't mean it is. Because if if all it is is facts, and all it is is opinions that are shared on, where it's like, I think we could really like each other. But every time we get together, all we're talking about is Liverpool and coffee. But I'm not talking about something deeper. It's not real community. I never will forget one day when I was praying and John had come to work for us because of that chemistry. I'm like, you would be perfect. And, and he started working with us and, and working for our church. And I called him one day and he told me about something that was going on in his life. And all of a sudden it moved past just facts and moved past opinion and it got over into feeling and transparency. And him and his family came and lived with us for a couple of months. And we became covenant partners because like in that, there was a level of friendship that was shown. That was deeper, a community, prayer together and worship together and communion together. Over the hurts and the pains. And I've watched what his life has become now. And I've watched what mine has too. And so much of it was found in true biblical community. And so with the people you find chemistry with, those are the people you want to create that with. Create biblical community. Create it. And somebody says, well, well, how do I create it? Number one, you've got to overcome isolation. I'll close with this. You've got to overcome isolation. Um, When I was single, before I met my wife, I thought, like, I'm good. Like, I'm really good. And I, I kind of thought, I didn't think people were dangerous. I said that in first service. I didn't really think people were dangerous. You know what I thought people were? Maybe some of you can relate to that. Work. I'm like, if I get in a relationship with you, it means now I've got to show up somewhere and actually do something. And I'm not sure if I really want to do that. And then you're probably going to disappoint me. And so why try? Um, and all those kinds of things. I thought people are work. And so out of that, I thought, I'm fine, and I was pastoring, and I had a lot of proximity with people, and so that feels like community. Um, And I was praying one day, and supernaturally, I met my wife, and that was the first real relationship I had where my soul was laid bare. 
And I found true community then and how life-giving that was. And then my world shifted of like, okay, like I'm not, I wasn't fine alone. Like I was actually so much better in community. But it was such a beautiful thing with me and my wife and our family. It was like the hand met the glove, so much chemistry, like so much chemistry uh, that came into community. That's like we became, we're good. Like we are really good And one day I was reading a book called Thou Shalt Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lampin. And in the book, it was a chapter on, you want to be successful? Extend the network of your connectedness to many people. That's literally like the the theme. Extend the network of your connectedness to many people. Because success, we know this, depends so much on not just what you know, but who you know. And, and so anyway, I'm reading that and the Lord spoke to me in the book and he's like, for your wife. And I, I think he's so smart because we'll do things for our spouses we wouldn't do for ourselves uh, sometimes. But he said, for your wife, you need to extend the network of your connectedness to other people on a friendship level. And I thought, well, I'll do it for her if you think she needs it. And so I began to, on purpose, bring people here. I would move people here. I'm like, come on, I'll hire you. Uh, all move people here, like begin to, to extend, call people and be like, can we do lunch? Can we do dinner? Do you want to come over for a game night? Like all of those kinds of things. I began to take a head on that and it began to fill our lives with true friendship. And now I look at like the wisdom I receive from those connections, the accountability I receive from those connections. I like genuinely, and anybody whose father or mother has passed away, you understand what I'm about to say. I would pay thousands, like literally right now, tens of thousands of dollars for a one hour conversation with my father. Genuinely. Genuinely. And that wound used to be so big in me, bigger than I would ever let anybody know. But through these connections, I have found people who have taken that spot of, of like being able to speak into that, bring healing, bring life, talk to me about marriage, talk to me about family. And, and so many of your hurts will be healed in community because trauma that is not shared is still trauma. But when you begin to share your trauma, you begin to be relieved of it. And so much of our trauma, we're we're hiding in secret because we don't have any community we'll trust with it. So you've got to overcome isolation. The second thing that you have to overcome is idealism. And somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? Is you keep waiting for perfect people to do this with. And let me help you, they don't exist. There is no community without humanity. People are going to disappoint you. Even if you invited me into your community and was like, I'd like a great relationship with you. Let me tell you, I will disappoint you. There'll be times where you text me, I don't see the text and I don't respond. There'll be pictures of me in other places, you weren't there. There'll be times where maybe I said something too fast or ignored something you said and I disappointed you. Why? I'm human like every other person in your life. And if you kill every divine connection because they showed you their humanity, you will have no true community. And so you've got to overcome this, uh, this, this, this idealization and realize that even in Jesus' 12, he had, some, he had some people who needed some help. Like they're denying him, they're selling him for 30 pieces of silver. He didn't give up on them though. And it changed them. 
And it enriched him in this life. And I guarantee you, if you would ask Jesus about some of his favorite moments in that life, it wasn't just be walking on water. It's like when I walked on it with Peter. Jesus, what were some of your favorite moments in life while you were here on the earth? He's like, ah, that time I, I turned water into wine with and for all those other people. That time I, I held up a, a, a lunch that was brought to me by a boy and watched my men, watched my disciples take it and break it and feed a multitude. His favorite moments would have been in the context of human personal relationships, teaching Mary in her house with other people listening. Or that time he was there and she came and broke her oil and poured it out on his feet in the presence of his community. And none of these people were perfect. And so just because these people aren't perfect, you can't give up on them. And you can't get so mad at them that you cut them out of your life and that you you don't welcome community with them. We've got to kill idealism. And then, then thirdly, we've got to overcome our intimidation. Your intimidation is the thing that's stopping you from creating this because you want to be invited into it instead of creating it. Let me say that again. You want to be invited into a community like this and not realizing it doesn't exist. Stop waiting to be invited into a community like this and go to work on creating a community like this. And for those of you who have relationships where you've already found chemistry, like there's genuine chemistry between you and that person, you have to overcome the intimidation of taking that relationship and centering it around Jesus. Of, of pulling those men or pulling those couples or pulling those ladies together and being like, you know what we're going to do? We're not just going to eat, but like, I want to talk about what Christ is doing in our lives. And you'll hear crickets at the table, maybe. What Christ is doing in our lives. Forget that. Like, I thought we were going to talk about what the Cowboys playing today. Like, what Christ is doing in our lives. Let the question hang. No, seriously, I want to know what Christ is doing in your life. And let me tell you what he's doing in mine. Let's talk about that message we just heard. What are we going to do with it? What what did the Holy Spirit speak to you? What what do you think we could have that we could all sell to give to the waiter the next time we come here? Like we've noticed he's going through a hard time. What could we all sell? I could not be more serious. What could we all sell that we could come and take up an offering and bless him with it? Maybe buy him and his wife new living room furniture. And tell them it's in the name of the Lord because Jesus loves you. What do you think that do to your friendships? What, what do you think if, if your friendships were based off about what you gave together instead of what you had as individuals? What if you, you pulled aside those ladies and said, you know what let's do today? Let's not just watch the show. Why don't we pray for our families? Why don't we pray for our sons? Why don't we pray for our daughters? Why don't we pray for our husbands? Why don't we pray for our friends? And break that intimidation because the devil will do anything to convince you not to do that. Because he knows if you did it, it would liberate you. But he also knows if you did it, it would liberate them. And so today at all of our campuses, what I want to do is I want to take communion. And I, I want you to make a decision of like, I want that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about it. And when we take communion, what we'll do is I'll pray over the elements, 
and then during worship, you can receive them. You take the wafer and you break it and you take the juice and you drink it. Uh, now, what I want to center our, our, our communion over today is community. That whatever has happened up to this point is under the blood of Jesus. And anything in my life that I need to remove from me, that I receive mercy to, to cover the past, but I receive grace to change it. That I will not be a companion of fools any longer. Um, that I receive mercy for that, but I receive grace to fix it. Um, but then also what we want to do is say, Father, from here on forward, I, I, I want you to be the center of my relationships, the center of my family, and the center of my life. And so, Lord Jesus, I'm going to fight to make that happen. Give me the grace to do that. Amen. So let me pray over the elements, and then we'll, we'll take them while we worship at all of our campuses. Father, we come before you today. And in fact, right now, across all of our campuses, just say this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. My past is over. I am forgiven and I am washed clean. Give me the grace to remove myself from anybody or anything that is toxic for me. I thank you, Father. I've been bought with a price. My life is not my own. Let me remove myself from anything or anybody that is unhealthy. And Father, I thank you that because of your blood, not only am I forgiven, but with your body, I am empowered. And today, Father, I thank you. I receive power to have my life, my family, and my friends be centered around you. Lord Jesus, let your Holy Spirit fill my community with your spirit. Father, I thank you. Your Holy Spirit fills my family, fills my sons and daughters, fills my friendships, fills my life until everything is consumed with you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.